0: Welcome to another great edition of The Sports Show. I'm Jeremy the Impact York. After a long absence, I missed you guys. I don't know if you missed me, I missed you guys. Uh, it has been a fun couple weeks. Just a lot of stuff going on to where I wasn't able to put out a show. And that falls on me. Because there's tons going on. I mean, tonight there's some, some NFL stuff. I'm going to talk horse racing because I don't like horse racing. You guys ask me things about horse racing. I'm not the foremost expert, but I know a decent amount about what's going on. I uh, even got some baseball things I want to get into. Maybe a short show, may not. Just depends on how long winded I get. You guys know how it is. But as always, this is the sports show. This is our weekly all sports show where uh, we obviously talk soccer and rugby and uh, as many things local Atlanta as we can while still staying true to the national market because there's just a lot going on. And speaking of a lot going on, let's talk about what the last few weeks has looked like for Rugby ATL. You know, they play over there in Lupo Field in kind of Marietta-Smyrna area there. It's kind of, I think it's Marietta. But over there at Life University, um, you guys have seen some of my videos. I appreciate the feedback on those. Um, They are fun to do, and uh, I I do my best to entertain and inform at the same time. So hopefully I'm doing those things. Uh, Yeah, but the last few weeks. Now, of course, last week they had a technical away game. I say technical because they are sharing their facility currently with the Toronto Arrows because Toronto is... uh, Because going across the Canadian border would be very difficult to do each and every week based on the guidelines. Uh, Toronto was able to Find Rugby ATL, who said you you are welcome to use our facilities in conjunction with us. So uh, this create a created a nest uh, a natural kind of friendship and a and a natural rivalry in the process. These two teams do like each other, but on the rugby field, on the field of play, they go at each other, and, and not in a bad way. It's not super aggressive. No, these two teams battle it out in uh, only the, the purest form you can. But in conjunction with this natural friendship and rivalry that has been created, both teams got together and they came up with what is called the Fire and Ice Cup. Fire because it's hot in Atlanta, ice because it's not quite as hot in Toronto. And so from what I understood... Each year that these teams play, if the away team wins, they take the trophy back home with them. I guess that makes sense, right? That's Either way, they're going to play a couple times a year, and this cup is going to be on the line. It is fantastic. It is really cool the way they did it. And last week, like I said, Since the Sheriff Facility, they uh, rugby ATL played against Toronto at Lupo Field. Our rugby ATL ends up with the victory. I believe it was 33 28. It was a last second score that put everybody ahead. Uh, Ben Rimsberg had two. We get in him in a minute. That dude. Speaking of fire, he is a he is uh, a meteor. Uh, Jason Dam got a goal. Shout out to him, Ross, and of course Mark O'Keefe, who practically scores every game, if not more than that. Uh, he has been a welcome addition since his signing in week two, I believe. But this. Help propel Rugby ATL towards the top of the division, and it led to the big matchup over the weekend, where they hosted the New England Free Jacks. There were a lot of New England fans in the crowd. That's that was interesting for one, because I didn't realize there was that many down here. Uh, but it wasn't just New England; it wasn't just people wearing Patriot stuff. No, people were wearing Free Jacks. Shirts and and hoodies and hats and, and things like that. Uh, fantastic! That's what you want to see. It's, it's when you're the away team. It's still some, you know, a third of the fans were your fans. Speaking of fans, Rugby ATL maximizing the fifty percent capacity. I mean it. It was probably borderline, almost having to turn people away. That that place was was rocking. It was definitely rocking. Uh, of course, we had tries from Ben Remsburg. said so we'll say him again. He he now has three in two weeks. He has a lot more than that on the year. Uh, Ross had another one. O'Keefe had another one. I'll talk about his in a second. Carl Say got on the board. And uh, Wayatokia got on the board as well. Now, as far as O'Keefe, uh, the score ended up being 33-18. to 18, But it was a lot closer than that. Until right at the end where I believe Ross scored and five minutes later with about three minutes left in the contest, Mark O'Keefe channeled his best and I compared it to this on Instagram. I, I said he he plays rugby the way Paul Walker drives a car. He waits till the very end, hits that NOS boost and runs past you all. He just took off down the field like people were chasing him, which they were, and none of them were going to catch him. It was just insane. Uh, like I said, the big the big effort from uh, Van Rimsburg here lately, he has really been one of the main forces, really, just powering, just pounding into the into the uh, into the try zone in uh, Karlskaya. Carl Say it has kind of taken over as the majority kicker. He kicks majority of the time with the extra points, with the penalty kicks, the uh the, the different things like that. But he's also finding ways to find himself on the board. He did again this week, and the 33 to 18 victory puts our rugby ATL in the top of the East. They are number one by a couple points. The point system is a little interesting. I remember, just remembered, on the show that I did after the press conference, the one from the field that I was going to kind of break down the scoring, the way the score uh, on the in standings, how that works. I, I have I have it right in front of me here how points for standings are awarded. This is how the table points are determined. You get four points for winning a match. You get two points for drawing a match. You get zero points if you lose a match. You get one losing bonus point for losing by seven points or fewer. So you want to make it close. So like in this case, the fact that Rugby ATL won by 17, 17, no, 15 points means, well, the free tax didn't get any points. That that last score by O'Keefe kept them from getting a point. And you get one try bonus point for scoring four tries or more. So even if we had not won the game, the fact that we had five tries this week and five last week, we would have gotten at least a bonus point. And we actually got the extra bonus point this week, which is what helped put it push us ahead. Uh, there's a bunch of there's a bunch of different tiebreakers and things like that, and uh, I'll find a, a, a better chart and post it up for you guys at some point but like i said rugby atl they are in the top of the east they uh, have a favorable matchup this week as they will travel to seattle to uh let's see at sunday at 8 p.m that is 8 p.m eastern from what i gather you can go to the rugby network and watch that uh there's a chance locally watl could be carrying it also if I find that out, I will post it up. And uh, it's a favorable matchup. And in rugby, any two teams can play on any given moment, and and that's what makes it special. So even though we're favored pretty heavy in this, doesn't doesn't necessarily mean you you just pencil that one in. But Seattle is last place in the West. They have had a little bit of trouble getting some points on the board, and a little bit of trouble, you know, just making. Uh, kind of putting some things together. You know, rugby at ATL had a few issues here and there. But they've been able to put it together in recent weeks. That's why they're in the top. Seattle is is, is going to rebound. They're going to get some things together. You know, it's been a weird year so far. So, even though it's favorable, I think it's going to be a good matchup. Uh, depending on... Depending on where I'm at watching the game this Sunday, will depend on uh, will depend on if I'm able to do any videos or anything like that. Because uh, I could do them outside the studio here, and I think you guys would enjoy them. But either way, good luck to Rugby ATL against Seattle. Uh, we're rooting for you back home here. You guys know that, and uh, bring home another W. Let's move to Atlanta United who in the past couple of weeks have, have had a interesting go of it. Now, we all know uh, that a couple of weeks ago, they lost 2-1 to one to New England Revolution, where Marcelino Moreno scored the long goal there. They had the 1-1 draw versus Philadelphia in the second leg of the tournament they uh, are now eliminated from where Santiago, Santiago Sosa had the long goal there. They had the draw versus enter Miami, where Joe Marr, people who are new to the show, that's Joseph Martinez, put his first of the year on the board. Uh, he went and hugged his his, uh, his trainer right after. It was fantastic. Uh, just to, is he fully back? No. Is he getting closer and closer every day? Absolutely. And the fact that he was able to put one in, it's got to help this offense that that has been struggling. As you notice, they are averaging about a goal a game, and that gets you a lot of losses and a handful of draws, and that is not how you win MLS Cup. Now, although they had a good game against the Montreal Impact going, and they were able to win that game in stoppage time when Marcelino Mourinho, Marcelino Mourinho, scored in stoppage time it was fantastic i uh have talked to a handful of people who are in the supporter section and they said that place went nuts when that goal went in as it should if you haven't been to united game go to united game and go early and tailgate and hang out and see the culture that is that has been created and and continues to evolve uh i encourage everybody go see united go see rugby atl they're, they're two of the best tickets in town and they're, they're pretty affordable to go to. You could actually take your family there and not feel like you had to refinance your house. Uh, oddly enough, just a handful of hours in the same city, Atlanta United is going to take on the Seattle Sounders Sunday in Seattle at 4.30. Should be fantastic. Seattle is one of the powerhouses of the league, as they usually are. And I look forward to... Hopefully, we can get this offense going. It it seems like, to me, it's it's not what Frank DeBoer's issue was, which is that I think he had the wrong personnel for what he was trying to do. On top of some other things, I think at this point that uh, Gabriel Heinzo has pretty much the type of players he needs to do his system. It's just you've got to find the combination that is going to spark this offense to really get rolling. Uh, obviously, Joseph being back in the mix, it's going to be a lot of that. But at the same time, I mean, Lopez, Moreno, you got to find the right people to put in the right situations. And, I mean, who are you going to go get? If you're going to try to go get somebody, you're, you're not going to be able to go get somebody. So if they're not on ATL 2, then just got to find a way to sparkle. Maybe uh, move a winger inside and, uh, and a, uh, a midfielder outside. You know, just small things, just Little 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 things here, little tweaks. I, I think I'm not gonna tell Heinz how to do his job because he is way more qualified to do it than I am, and he knows he's got to get this team sparked and, and going because uh, the defense is okay. They're not getting blown out. They're losing two one or they're getting one one draws. The defense, and Guzan are on it. Just got to put more than one goal in the back of the net, and I think they're gonna do that. It, it uh, prediction versus Seattle. I'm gonna say two-one, Atlanta, and it's gonna be Mourinho. And why not, Joe Mar, Joseph Martinez? That's what. That's my prediction. Uh, we'll be watching along. Hopefully, you watch along as well. Go United. Let's talk a little horse racing. Not going to get very deep into it, so you know, no need to worry or anything. Like I said, I'm not the foremost expert at all. Uh, I've been watching it for a for a, a good handful of years. I'm very interested in it. I just hadn't took the time to dive in it the way that I have into other sports. Uh, but Bob Baffert, who is the trainer of Medina Spirit, who won the Kentucky Derby, Baffert is under investigation because Medina Spirit failed a drug test. It looks like a performance-enhancing uh, chemical of some kind. Uh, so they have to go with a second sample. That second sample could take a couple of weeks. I haven't heard yet. I do know that the horse passed the uh, Preakness test. I'm pretty sure. And... Uh, was allowed to to race in the Preakness after initially not being allowed to. Uh, they believe I believe Medina Spirit got third or fourth, maybe, uh, because uh, Ron Bauer actually won the Preakness. Congratulations to them on that. Uh, but Bob Baffert has been suspended from entering any horses whatsoever in the Belmont Stakes at Belmont Park. That's not just Medina Spirit. That's any. Horse he's associated with, he's listed as the trainer. He's listed as a trainer on a lot of them. Basically, they let him run the Preakness. They let Medina Spirit run the Preakness because, as the Derby winner, not only does it help sell tickets and help promote it, but in the off chance that they win the Derby and the Preakness, then that's two thirds to a Triple Crown. So, if they come back, if the test results come back clean you don't want to disqualify a horse that had a chance to be a a triple crown winner if they actually come back clean. That'd be pretty bad. But since they didn't win, the Preakness, now they're not allowed in the Belmont. Now, until they sort this out, uh, Bob Baffert is, is one of the most storied, biggest, better trainers out there. There are a lot of them. There's probably four or five. Maybe if it's six that are they're just considered elite, and then there are some just super good ones, you know. Here's the issue that I would have. If you are the owner of Medina Spirit or some of these other horses, because owning a horse is a lot of money. Recently, there's been a lot of people suddenly buy horses because their kids race them or they want to race them or or they want to ride them and things like that. Hey, you guys know. It is not cheap to own a horse. When you talk about one of these racehorses, one of these thoroughbreds, this way, it is really, really not cheap. So just think that you have hundreds of thousands of dollars invested in a horse, maybe more, and and one good win can can help alleviate that. But you've got hundreds of thousands of dollars on a horse. Is supposed to run in a big race. And then now it's not allowed to because the the trainer of the horse is not allowed to enter any horses into any of the races that weekend. Which means you earn zero dollars. You're actually losing money because you're still taking care of the horse. You are still feeding the horse. uh, Any kind of medical treatments, any kind of just overall, you know, stall rentals, accommodations. Things like that. That's... That's where this could become a real, real big issue. On top of, Baffert has had a couple hiccups here and there over the years. I don't know if he's guilty here or not. We're just going to have to let the the process play out. But, if he comes back not clean in this, I think a lot more attention in the wrong direction is going to get sent his way. So, you know, you hope maybe it was just a freak thing here or there, but we're just going to have to see. But until then, good luck to all the other horses. Go win your races. Doesn't matter who you beat in them because they're still star-studded across the board just because the derby winner's not in there. But uh, once again, Ron Bauer wins Preakness. Good luck to the Belmont Stakes, which is coming up, Belmont all those races in in uh, Belmont Park, I believe that is, is that this week. Is this week or next week. And good luck to Medina Spirit. It's not like that horse did it to himself. He didn't. It's being taken care of by humans, and we all know we screw everything up. Now let's talk uh, three of the bigger headlines. You guys have probably heard other shows talk about it. I'm just going to say my piece on them in the NFL. You got the Aaron Rodgers saga. I think Aaron saying what he said and all that right around the draft. First of all, part of it is is um Aaron and part of it is who was it Rappaport in Rappaport that uh that released it when he did? Or Schefter. Maybe it was Schefter. It was Schefter I think. But we know Rogers is is not peachy in Greenback. The problem is, there's nowhere he could go, because the only rumored stops at the moment to places he could actually go are Las Vegas Raiders, which, okay, that's a pretty good team. You're not... uh, Putting Aaron Rodgers in that team doesn't automatically make them... I don't even... Not even favorites in their own division, because they're in a division with Kansas City. And also... The Denver Broncos. Uh, Denver's in the middle of a rebuild. If he goes there, he may be playing with some pretty good pieces, but if Rodgers is about championships, then Green Bay is is a perennial favorite. They're a favorite this year. But I think what it is is last year Rodgers got spurned by the Packers moving up and drafting a first-round quarterback and not giving him even a sniff that that could happen. By the way, the, uh, the Bears did let Andy Dalton know that they could take a quarterback this year. Yeah, so they let Andy Dalton know, but Green Bay couldn't tell Rodgers. So Rodgers tells uh, Schefter and some others some information, and uh, they decided to release it right around the draft. And so it's caused all uh, this hoopla and everything. Here's what I think is going to happen. Aaron Rodgers is going to play at least this year at Green Bay. I don't know if he'll do the Jeopardy gig. He could do both at the same time. That's that's this is the red herring of the whole thing. It, it doesn't even factor in. It's not like he's going to quit the NFL and go do Jeopardy. He's going to either do both or he's going to just play football. One or the other. Last I checked, they haven't offered him the job. But he's going to play at least this year in Green Bay. They're going to probably be really good. The interesting thing in this is his number one receiver, Devontae Adams, has been quoted as saying, and and he backed it up when asked again, is that if Aaron leaves, he may not necessarily stay himself. Because that's his guy. That's the only guy he's he's ever, uh, only quarterback he's ever played in the NFL with that could be interesting to see who would potentially leave with Rodgers because Adams, he could get franchised, but Adams, his contract is uh, coming up pretty soon. But it's, it's at least given us something in the off season to talk about now that camps are finally opening. We're finally getting some people in pads And helmets crashing into each other. Football is just around the corner. And speaking of somebody who recently put on a helmet and crashed into people, Tim Tebow signed his deal with the Jaguars today to be a tight end. Now, if you remember, I believe in Denver, he played tight end a a couple A couple snaps. He also played a couple in uh, New York with the Jets, I believe. But that's neither here nor there. But Tim Tebow, who is neighbors with his coach, Urban Meyer, do I think this is a potential publicity getter? I'm not going to say, you know, publicity stunt. It's, uh, yes, I think it is. I think part of it is. Part of it is Tim Tebow probably asked Urban Meyer, Is there a chance I could come compete for a job? And Urban probably said, I can do you that. As much as you've done for me, I can do you that. So that's what happens. And this happens all the time. It's not just because it's Tebow and Meyer. Let's let's just stop that now. This happens a lot. Uh, A coach moves to a different team, gets a little bit more decision-making power, and he calls up a player that he had at a different place. Or he calls up, or uh, that player calls him up and says, hey, any chance you could get me in the door, I'll compete. If I don't make it, I'll make it. Yeah, it, it happens a lot. Um, but I also think Tim is in really good shape. He's super competitive, we know that. He can help implement Coach Urban Meyer's system. It's the way he likes, you know, players to act and and, and things like that, and maybe things to look for in the playbook, things like that. The, The culture. Tim is there for culture, he's there for publicity, and there's a chance he could make the team, because they've already put his jerseys out, which is weird, because right now he is number 85, not his traditional 15, because somebody on the team has 15. Quick quiz who is currently number 15 for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Give you a hint. There is a chance he could get moved, and there are places, including Green Bay or others, that I think should give him a chance, because he proved he can play. He just didn't have anything really around him. And that is number 15, Gardner Minshew. Yep, Gardner Mania. The only thing that's bigger in Jacksonville than Gardner Mania is Trevor Mania and Tebow Time, and both of those have come to town. Gardner showed he could play. Maybe, well, Houston has like four options now. There, there are teams, maybe Miami, maybe some other places that uh, see what Jacksonville wants to do. I would be willing to bet if this uh, jersey number is, is an issue and Tebow really wants his 15, he could either get it from Minshew, who would probably swap to some number anyway, or they'll just move Minshew. And if they do, I hope the team he goes to, I hope he's very successful. But also want Tebow to be successful. He's a good dude. He really is. He's a good dude. I wish him all the best. And we'll see how this plays out. Now, I can't. I can't get out of the NFL stuff without talking about the local team, that's the Falcons, and the Julio Jones situation. Here is what it basically boils down to. Unless and they and Greedy Jarrett said talk to my agent and we'll get the deal done as far as moving some numbers around on his contract, which is how you got in the Matt Ryan debacle you're in now. Keep kept moving that cap number back and back and back to where now it's astronomical. Basically, in order for the Falcons to have at least at least be able to pay everybody they have with the budget they have, they're not bankrupt, they're not out of money. you're only allowed x amount of dollars in order to do that They pretty much may need to either try to move some other numbers around on some contracts or move on from Julio Jones. And this would have to, for it to make sense so they could split his cap number, which is pretty big as well, split it among two years, this would have to be a post-June 1st deal. Because June 1st is, I think, just just one of the new deadlines. Uh, June 1st only being, gosh, what's the day? Today's the 20th, right? Yeah, 20th. Talking 12 days, and from what I hear, they have been shopping potential deals for Julio Jones for after June 1st around, and they're not really getting any serious takers. That could be a problem. I understand trying to move him so that it frees up the capital that'll help your team out, but Julio... Staying on this team could be the difference in you finishing fourth and you potentially grabbing a wild card that's that's what I think could be the difference they they need a couple of other pieces as well we know that, but I know they're trying to exhaust every option to see how this could work. You can't touch Matt's contract at this point Grady Jared I guess is the next one to consider, but you gotta do something because you're you're now. Backed up on the wall, and time's running out. So I, I look, I look forward to see what the Falcons come up with. More than likely, and unfortunately, it, it my guess is that Julio gets moved. Um, there's a lot of teams that could use him. New England, Philadelphia, um, Derek Henry of the Titans said he'd like him there. I mean, there's there's places he could go, and it just depends on what you could get and how how much of that contract you could free up. All right, I've uh, got a couple a couple little baseball nuggets, and we will get out of here on this Thursday. Uh, Kevin Pillar of the Mets. They were playing against the Braves the other night. I'm not just saying this because I'm a Mets fan. I'm saying this because a lot of people have super freaked out. Uh, he got hit in the face by a pitch, uh, really more up towards the nose. Of course, it blackened his eyes. And, uh, he's got a lot of nasal fractures. Which, remember, your, your nose is not technically a bone. It's a bunch of cartilage. But they'd probably go in there and have to reconstruct it if they hadn't already. Uh, here's the weird thing. He did a post-game press conference. It was about 15 minutes long. Before or Right after the game. Uh, then he went to a local medical facility where, where they found out about the nasal fractures and things like that. Uh, and and he says, "Hey, it's for the most part. He's like, you know, it's it, it's part of the game. It's, sometimes this happens. It wasn't on purpose. You know, it, it's baseball." Wow, what a trooper! <laughs> I mean, he is smashed in the face, and and, and uh, But I appreciate him doing that because I don't know what pitcher hit him. I was not watching the game. I didn't look it up. But he said he's more concerned for the pitcher because it's going to affect him more. He said this won't affect him getting back in the box and taking hacks and swings. He says, but the pitcher, it, he's always going to have that in the back of his head that he that he smashed somebody in the face with the ball, uh, even unintentionally. And and I appreciate him bringing that up because we always think about the person who gets hit in a, in a situation like that, not the person who necessarily did it, especially if they didn't mean to do it. So, uh, kudos to Pilar. I think he's going to be okay. He's going to, he's going to recover and and probably be back. And, uh, you know, keep your, your thoughts and prayers with, with him and his family and with the pitcher because, uh, they're going to need it. It's a hard thing to get out of your mind. And then lastly, this whole thing about the home run, um, so there's a player who, on a 3-0 count where a position player from the other team, who it was like 15-4 at that point, throws a like 50-mile-an-hour breaking ball, and he tees off on it, hits a three-run home run. Once again, on a 3-0 count, in like the eighth inning, in a blowout. So what? Are you a major league player? Then swing the bat. We tell it, we get mad all the time when they don't swing the bat, and all of a sudden this guy swings the bat. And everybody has a problem with it. I don't have a problem with it. The problem I have is that Tony Arusa, Russa, who I did as old as he is, and he's one of my favorite managers, but I mean, he pretty much acknowledged after the game that it's it's okay to throw at that player the next day for doing that. Uh, you just told somebody to throw at your player, and guess what they did the next day? They threw at your player and hit it. I think it went behind him, actually, and they threw out the pitcher. They did it as they should, because if not, they're going to keep doing it. No, My issue is that such an old-school manager, you don't tell people to throw at your players, and if this young player, it, it, this is a teachable moment. And in this teachable moment, here's what you do. you After he does that, because apparently Rusa had given him the uh, the take side. So when he... If he goes against orders and still hits a and still does not anyway, when he gets into the dugout, you make it a teachable moment. You say, "Appreciate the effort of uh, what you did there. I told you to take, and you didn't. So you know, hey, sit out for a couple games. Um, in a blowout, when it's 3-0 count and we're up big, and there's a position player and, and all these unwritten rules that, that make baseball so boring." So hard to understand. Next time, don't swing. Make it a teachable moment. Not tell the other team to throw at your player. That's just dumb. And you know what? Kudos to the guy that hit the home run. Swing the bat. That's what I would have done. Johnny Bench was on the Dan Patrick show. And he said, oh, I would have swung. And then Dan said, he goes, well... Even if it's 3-0, and he goes, yeah, if it's 3-0. He goes, even in a blowout, and he goes, yeah, if it's a blowout. And he goes, he goes. well, what if what if uh, your manager says not to, gives you the, the take sign? He goes, well, then you take. And that's easy to say because he's not playing. Everybody swings the bat. Everybody's going to swing the bat there. But it is what it is. Baseball's been fun so far. Uh, Locally, the Braves are doing pretty good. It would be nice if if they wouldn't allow the home run so much. Ronald Acuna trying to carry the whole thing, and and they would uh, get the offense going a little bit. But, you know, beyond that, Braves are a good team. Braves are doing some really good things. I enjoy watching them. I know you guys enjoy watching them. But that's going to do it for me this week. Appreciate all you guys tuning in to another great edition of this fourth show that's entitled uh, let's call it that why not let's call it It's Baseball but I'm Jeremy the Impact York thanks for tuning in we will see you guys next week deuces gooses